Hello, welcome to Songs and Tales, a podcast where we delve too greedily and too deep into the works of J.R.R. Tolkien. I'm Aaron. And I'm Clara. And this week we are the Daddy's Two Foot, who will guide you on this journey. I do love all the Hobbit names in this I section. Do too. <laughs> and it's very clear that he kind of was running low on ideas the <laughs> yeah. further into the Hobbits he got. Daddy Two Foot. <laughs> yeah, Daddy Two Foot, which is incredible. Daddy Two Foot is my favorite. Yeah. Daddy uh, Two Foot is like a Bootsy Collins cover band, and I'm, I'm here for it. I'm very here for it. Uh, I am so excited to be into the trilogy. Holy crap. Yeah, same. Reading this uh, is like a breath of. It really, it really was and like i don't i mean yeah it's just it's so much fun i forgot how much fun this book I mean, it's been so long since i read it i forgot how much fun this book is like right from the start yes i love it i I'm mean all it's, about it and it's really fun at the beginning right like that's the yeah. thing it's it it lulls you into kind of a false sense of security because it's so fun it's These, so like, good this especially this first chapter is yeah. like such a such a romp mm-hmm. um and yeah yeah it's uh and i would never call anything in the silmarillion a romp so no and it's very clear that this book did start out as a sequel to the hobbit yes like in his brain yeah Yeah, because the publisher i know wanted it to be one and then it Mm -hmm. became something very different but the first chapter really feels like the hobbit part yes definitely more geared towards like younger audiences Mm -hmm. right if you were I don't know, uh, 12 year, like if you were reading this with your 12 year old kid and you had just finished the Hobbit and you're like, okay, we're going to read the Lord of the Rings. You would read this chapter. You'd be like, oh, great. Perfect for a 12 year old child. Then you'd get to like the council of Elrond. You'd be like, okay, well I need to put my kid to sleep. So (laughs) dive in. Yeah. I, uh, I, yeah, I'm smitten again. How long has it been since you've read this book, Aaron? Ooh, probably, probably 10 years at least. Maybe longer. I think it was college when I last read it. So okay. maybe around 2010, 2009, 2010, something like that. I got the, they had like a new release of the, the trilogy is a single book. And it was a gift for my birthday. A friend oh, gave it to me. Oh, very nice. And so I read it again then. And I think it was either, it might have been my 21st birthday. So I've been 2010. Okay. But, but uh, Getting drunk yeah, and reading. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the yeah. trilogy. Um, but that was, yeah, that was probably last time. And, and before then, it had been years even since I... Like, so I haven't read this nearly as much as you. I think I've probably read it maybe three times. So are you reading... Wait, so the copy that you're reading now, is it like a single volume? Yeah, I had the single volume because the other one I have is nice. And I didn't want to write in it. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> Whereas enough. I need to take notes, so I have my paperbacks. Um, but... Yeah, the other ver- version basically looks like it. it's like on Bible paper. <laughs> mm-hmm. say, those it's single nice, volume books but... are hard. Like yeah. when I was growing up, I had a giant single volume of all of the Chronicles of Narnia. It was Whoa, like eight that's inches. That's a lot of books. <laughs> it yeah. was like eight inches thick. Wow, you could you could <laughs> kill an animal with that. Absolutely, it was basically a weapon. I just have these really crappy. Um, mass market like paperback editions with so is that from like 2000 or 99 when did that come so out? when was this one because it has this if, if you've seen our insta feed you've seen the cover it has this incredible like blurry last known photo of gandalf on the front okay so my copy doesn't good. have like the no oh, print date or whatever the print, well it says 1994 but that wouldn't be no that's probably when. just the text yeah yeah so the text copy yeah revised no on the text copyright uh 1994 but it doesn't say what year i'm getting well the, specific uh, yeah it must be like right around when the movie came out though right yes because all yeah. of and all of my copies are from the same year um <laughs> So all of them have stills from the first movie from the Fellowship because the uh, Two Towers and Return of the King had not been released yet. Wow. So, like this is, and they're like blurry. Some yeah, why some are they reason, blurry? Like this image, this is just like an image of Gandalf striding through, you know, New Zealand, yeah. and it's like the lowest res image they could possibly have chosen. <laughs> 
like taking with a disposable camera. And then there's and all these like stills of characters on the back. Oh, those are the covers on the paperbacks I had. Okay. I had the small, like the mass market ones. Mm-hmm. And the one had that picture of Frodo, and I think the other one had, yeah, Return of the King had Aragorn. I forget what was, what was on Two Towers, but maybe Gandalf? I don't remember. So, yeah, mine are... But those uh, gave up the ghost a long time ago. Well, mine are almost there. I'm surprised they've lasted this long. Because, yes, as Aaron said, I've read these a lot. Like, with the exception of, actually, it's odd, because I read them a lot during high school, kind of broke from them in college and then came back to them after college. So kind of opposite pattern of you where you read them during college. Mm -hmm. College was the only time I didn't really read Lord of the Rings very much. Um, Hmm. But yeah, like I read them at the very beginning of the pandemic. I gave them a reread and then I think I listened to them as well. Like the audiobook version um, a few years ago. So yeah, it's a... a lot of Tolkien content flowing yeah. through this whole brain. But yeah, we're really excited. Crappy book or no, the content is good. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. No, I'm I'm a fan. I'm I'm already into it. Again. Um so Aaron, where do you want to start this week? Uh I mean, should we start with concerning hobbits? Why that not? We beginning. said we weren't gonna read it and then we both read I know, it. but I love it. Yeah, Aaron really loves it. It's uh, it's what I want the Silmarillion to be, in a <laughs> well, lot of ways. Did I tell uh, you that when I originally read the Silmarillion, I read it because I wanted to know where the heck hobbits came from? Yeah. And so the fact that there weren't any hobbits in the Silmarillion at all was, like, heartbreaking. <laughs> and a huge betrayal. Anyway. Yep. And we kind of, I guess we kind of get a reason for that in Concerning Hobbits, where we he do. says we the do. hobbits don't appear in the histories of elves and men that often. Yes, um, because elves are only concerned with elf things. Yeah. And occasionally men when they yep. have relevance, I guess, so relevant things. But I did love the, the one <laughs> remark about how, like, the hobbits have this story of sending bowmen to help during one of the battles, <laughs> but there's no record of it elsewhere. <laughs> Little hobbits. They were too short. They weren't seen. So they didn't get uh, registered. But, but yeah, I love this chapter. Uh, it's very much in keeping with, yeah, like what I said, what I hoped the Silmarillion would be, which is kind of talking about how history is recorded and mm-hmm. how things are remembered. And we get a sense <clears throat> of, I guess, the Hobbits as like a culture mm-hmm. a bit more than uh, I remembered. I didn't really remember much from this section, but uh, I liked it. Uh I think for me, what's interesting is what we, some of the things we learn, um, which I've already told Clara about, and she was not surprised that I focused on some of these things. Nope. Uh, Let's um, chat but, about them. Yeah, so there are like a couple items that I found interesting, including language, mm-hmm. where they live, like the okay. houses they live in. Mm-hmm. Um, and also what we get of the government <laughs> is also very interesting. <laughs> okay. Um, but we can start with language. Because I think um, this comes up again later in the Fellowship too, in a different context. But we actually learn that the Hobbits had their own language mm-hmm. way back when, and then they were told forgot it um, because they're taught common tongue by men, mm-hmm. which I thought was an interesting word choice for language loss. Like, they just sort of forget. They just stop using it, apparently. Right, how do you forget a language? <laughs> yeah, and, like, I, it says that he says that, you know, they keep a few things like names and, I think, a few terms, but mm-hmm. they I think fully names. adopt the common tongue, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which is interesting because, like, I understand that the common tongue is sort of a lingua franca for Middle Earth, but usually what that means, right, is that it's spoken in addition to mm-hmm. a native tongue. So, like, the elves, right, speak common but they also have their own language um but here it's totally replaced mm-hmm. just interesting and i wasn't sure if there were other examples of that that you know of. i'm trying to find this like part where he says oh it's on like page four where he talks I was about the say, it's really early yeah it's like the second yeah page four um 
He says he kept a few words of their own, as well as their own names of months and days. So they keep the calendar. Mm-hmm. Or at least the terms for the calendar, but it's clear they adopt the standard calendar at some point um, in a great store of personal names. And later we're told, right, that there's the Shire Reckoning, which used to be their own calendar time yeah. Yeah, calendar system. But I, it's not clear to me how closely related it is to like the standard. Yeah, I think there are some later um, mentions of it in the books. So we can keep an eye out for that because I know mm-hmm. like they talk about you know when frodo throws the ring into mount doom it's like march 25th i think it's like mid to late march uh it's the feast of the annunciation um if you're following your liturgical calendar (laughs) um i think it's march 25th and they say i think there's also a mention of like the day of the like like shire date that it is same with like oh, okay. when he wakes up from his coma i think there's also like a mention of what shire day it is along with like yeah. the kind of common era date that we're working under um and hobbits they i think okay so language let's start with language before i yeah. kind of go off on this time it's like measuring of time thing, which we've talked about a little bit before. So yeah. this is maybe a good place to delve into it further. But I don't know. So your question about like, are there instances of anyone else like forgetting a language? I don't think so. I mean, even the elves who like, there's like, you know, Quenta and Sindar. And there's like the two dialects of Elvish. Like, I don't know that anyone f- forgets it. They either just like don't learn it. Right. Or they mm-hmm. learn it. <laughs> um. Like, forgetting is a weird, like you said, yeah. it's a really weird word. Um, and for Tolkien, right, since we know language is so important, like, what does that say about right. his kind of commentary on Hobbit culture? Mm-hmm. Like, are they just, like, great assimilators? <laughs> I don't, like I don't I don't yeah. I don't know for sure what he's trying to kind of get at with that, but it's definitely not just like yeah they don't have their own language anymore. It's mm-hmm. I think it's more than that, right? And he also makes a point of saying that they don't really care all that much about recording things other than genealogy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like the the thing that hobbits love is family trees, but other than that, at least until. Basically, when Bilbo and Frodo and then the others, they start to write. Yeah. Interestingly enough, we're told basically that after all. So we kind of have this spoiler, essentially, that all these hobbits survive. Yeah. The story right at the beginning, because we're told afterwards that they record all these things about their experiences and then also some things about hobbit history. Yeah. Um, I wonder, odd. like, and this is going to sound like Tolkien is being sort of dickish about his hobbits and I don't really mean it that way but like we've talked a little bit about how like in Tolkien's world small people have big significance um and obviously like the hobbits are the number one example of that they literally are small right <laughs> right <laughs> and like kind of un- seem unimportant they're overlooked by the rest of the world like the wise the quote wise capital W-Ys don't really consider them. Sauron hasn't considered them. No one thinks about the hobbits. And I'm wondering if this is maybe a way for Tolkien of emphasizing that. Like, the hobbits are just so unimportant to the rest of the world that, like, they don't... They're they're flying way under the radar, right? They're just forgetting their own language. They're not... They don't have any, you know, important histories. They have... You know, nothing sort of connecting them to the past, right? Because that seems to be what makes the elves so important is that they have this huge, you know, historical arc that they've recorded and they've kept track of and they have all these, right? They create things that last, whereas the hobbits just like farm, (laughs) right? They don't create anything, Um until Frodo and Bilbo come along. And then all of a sudden you have two hobbits who become very important and then also like create 
record of certain events. So I wonder if that's maybe kind of Tolkien's, like, he's he's starting out with the hobbits just seeming so small and quaint and, like, un, you know, unimportant to the world except to themselves that so we understand kind of where these characters are starting to emphasize where they end up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're very isolated, too. He makes a point of... Mm-hmm. Like, they don't really have much communication with, aside from the men who apparently teach them common and a little <laughs> bit of writing. Yeah. Uh, they don't really seek beyond, like, once they're in the Shire, they sort of just stay there. Yeah. Because we're told that they come from elsewhere, like, way back in the sort of distant past. Yes. But um, also, like, we're told they come they come from elsewhere, but we're told they come from very specific places in Middle mm-hmm. Earth, and we have no idea how they ended up in Middle Earth. No. Like, we don't know... Who created that? Right. We get the creation story for the dwarves. We get a creation story for elves, for men, for orcs, uh, for ents. But, like, where did the hobbits even come from? We don't know. We know that there were yeah. three tribes of hobbits. Mm-hmm. The Stores, the Harfoots, and the... I can't remember the last one. And they're all a little bit different. They're all a little different, but they all are pretty much the same. <laughs> yeah, there's one who's like more adventurous than the others, basically. You uh, know. The fallow hides. The fallow hides are the hides, more yeah. adventure- adventurous ones, and they uh, they could still be noted among the greater families, such as the Tooks and the Masters of Buckland. So the Tooks and the Brandy Bucks, which mm-hmm. um, Marion Pippin Important. and also Frodo right. is also Frodo. Uh, yeah. on his mother's buck. side right yeah on his mother's side and i think on his father's side, they're cousins they're like somehow oh, that's his right. parents yeah. are related yeah drogo Dro- drogo drogo and i forget his mom's do name we know his mom? do we even know i his think mom? they we say m- it we must yeah i can't remember now but something um um but right there's these Prim- three, Prim- three tribes <laughs> incredible she was mr bilbo's first cousin on his on the mother's side and Mr. Drogo was his second cousin. So Mr. Frodo is his first and second cousin once removed either way. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so, yes, there are like three different tribes mm. of hobbits. They all kind of distill into various sort of important families in mm-hmm. the Shire. Right. And they settle in different parts of the Shire. Mm-hmm. It seems that there's still some division there. Yeah. Because, you know, everybody in the sh- in Hobbiton thinks that people in Buckland are weird. Yes, queer. <laughs> yeah, queer. Repeatedly told this. Yes, uh, they're very queer. The first couple, first two chapters, I guess. And the Tooks are kind of odd, but they sort of keep to themselves. They're mm-hmm. in the north. Um, which, fun fact, that is why, so, Billy Boyd, who plays uh, Pippin yes. in the movies... That's why he decided to keep his Scottish accent because he was like, they're a little bit different. They're from the north of the Shire. (laughs) Like it just made sense to me to have him speak differently than the rest of the hobbits, which I thought was very funny. I like that. Um, But yeah, so I don't know what else about the hobbits you want to talk about. We can talk about their concept of time. They age very differently. So Frodo is like 50 um, kind of... 50 and then I think late 50s uh, when he sets out on his adventure that would be like a 23 to 25 year old he's like not like Pippin is fully a teenager so they talk about Pippin being like kind of dumb (laughs) he's he's like an 18 year old he's not even his tweens um, yeah he's not even come of age yet at the age of 33. 33 so we have to keep kind of keep that in mind like these are not 50 year olds going going on adventures these are uh you know essentially teen teens right. and 20s heading out to fight the big bad right so we're told like old for a hobbit is 140 something i think right there's yes some mention yeah. of it's one of the tukes i think right who lives to be 140 yeah 140 and he's really old yeah 111 is very respectable right uh age for a hobbit so yes but. they live they live longer than than us than the men the humans um except for aragorn right 88 or whatever (laughs) yeah yeah um yes they age age very differently 
they uh, yeah, they live in their holes. You said you want to talk a little bit about where they live in their holes in the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they we get a little bit of detail about their <laughs> their houses, which I thought was interesting. It's, it's on page six if you're if you want to look but Aaron, you keep like we have very oh, different right. editions of this book I, yeah it's well not it's, it's not far six. in it's like a couple pages into this chapter again yes all hobbits had originally lived in holes in the ground or so they believed right and uh but we're told that now it's just the rich and the poor who sort of maintain this oh interesting tradition yep. um and of course the poor live in sort of ruder versions simple versions of it whereas the rich it's they make these sort of comfortable i guess imitations of what hobbits would have lived in Mm -hmm. ages ago so it's just interesting that we have this sort of um mix of sort of class structures and how that plays into preserving this yeah that's really interesting i know it's a weird detail and it kind of fits with rural england too go on like when tolkien would have been younger Mm -hmm. this mix of people who were living sort of this for lack of a better word pretty rustic existence that was still Mm -hmm. very much almost like a peasant existence. So like mm-hmm. when Tolkien would have been younger before the war, that was still common to see it was fading, but like older people in, in rural England still mm-hmm. kind of lived like they would have lived, you know, a hundred years before or even longer before. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was this sort of movement out to the rural areas by wealthy mm-hmm. people basically to sort of live the country life. And there was this kind of like Im- imitative mm-hmm. <laughs> rusticity that occurs. But of course it's has all these trappings of like, well-to-do life so you know they were comfortable with mm-hmm. their imitations of that same sort of rural existence so interesting. it's interesting that like tolkien yeah is, is looking at sort of village life um because like when he was younger it wasn't this sort of weird transition mm-hmm. period that was occurring because of basically the closure of the commons and things like that you yeah it's really changing rural life and, and the shire is really interesting because it is kind of in this perpetual in-between mm-hmm moment between sort of what rural England would have become by the time Tolkien's writing this versus like this sort of ideal mm-hmm. version that also never really existed. Yeah. Uh, but was kind of mourned in passing by people who, you know, saw the traditions of rural life disappearing. I don't know. You can think about like a lot of Hardy's books too. Yeah. And he kind of, he talks about this too, right? Just the way that rural life is changing although he's more realistic i think about how difficult it was right whereas you know in this period where you had sort of wealthy people moving out there there was this kind of like view of it as charming that kind of erased some of the difficulties of it Um, and i think the shire kind of sits in a weird position between that and i like tolkien himself seems kind of ambivalent about the shire like there's points at which it's clearly like an ideal and there's other points Mm -hmm. at which it's framed as like stultifying and yeah it's kind of criticized narrow. a little bit yeah yeah like you know bilbo and frodo are seen as weirdos <laughs> because they engage with the outside world mm-hmm. in ways that the rest of the hobbits by and large do not um so it's interesting that tolkien's kind of taking this there's an ambivalence about village life like there's mm-hmm. something about it that he finds appealing and there's something about it that he also finds really limiting and kind of suffocating mm-hmm. i think um which takes us far from the original comment about houses, but I think it is really interesting that clearly like there's, there's these aspects of like rural English life that are informing Mm -hmm. the Shire. um, And pretty, I thought surprisingly direct. Like I wasn't expecting it to be that obvious. I guess like that seems like a really obvious commentary on, you know, rural England in the the years before the war. And you seem surprised by it. Yeah. I mean, it is like, it's not a detail I'd ever noticed before, Mm. honestly. Um, but it's, yeah, it's odd to, like, it is an odd detail, right? Yeah. On Tolkien's part. And I think you're right. It is definitely him kind of making these connections to the English mm-hmm. countryside. Um, yeah, there's some real kind of almost throwaway. Because later Bilbo is described as being generous with the poor mm-hmm. yes, people very generous. in the Shire. And it, it does have this kind of country squire sort of mm-hmm. yeah aspect I to it like think... you know noblesse oblige like you know mm-hmm. if you're wealthy and well-to-do you have this responsibility right and i think the way that they live to like um like the gamgees like live yes. at right they live on bagshot row mm-hmm. but basically they like live on bilbo's estate kind of like the mm-hmm. gentry right like he would have 
you know, you would have your manor house and then like on your land, you would have tenants who then like lived right in their homes, um, paid rent to the Mm -hmm. Lord or whoever, you know, the landowner. And I don't, it's not quite as, you know, explicit as like, you know, the Gamgees are paying rent to right Bilbo, but there is this kind of understanding that like they work for him. They live within sort of like the realm of his like, yes. land ownership. Um, Very much so. Yeah. They're hereditary employees of or hereditary gardeners. Essentially, yes. You know? Yeah. 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 Right. Um, yeah. There's some interesting moments with the Gamgees, including one point where it, the father is it, is he talking to Sam? He says something about book learning. Mm-hmm. He talks. Oh, he talks about learn. You know, Belbo telling him stories, and he's like worried about. He says, "You know, Bilbo has learned him letters, meaning no harm, mark you, and I hope no harm will come of it." Elves and dragons, I says to him, cabbages and potatoes are better for me and you. Oh yeah, don't go mi- getting mixed up in the business of your betters, or you'll land in big trouble, and bit trouble too big for you. Which is very much like. Well, you're saying like this thing about book learning, like Sam, like the gaffer, you know, mm-hmm. worrying that Sam will come to trouble if he like learns his letters, right? I think that's something you see like if you watch shows like Down Abbey, like any show where you kind of have these like lower class, working class, like, you know, um, upstairs, downstairs kind mm-hmm. of dynamic, right? You do kind of s- often get these attitudes of like people, like the workers for the um, gentry being like know your place yep you know it doesn't do you any good to learn how to do a skill other than the skill you know how to do because why would you want to like right. go out and like you know work or live or do anything outside of this realm mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um there's like yeah, no desire to right mm-hmm. better yourself right um, because there's no practical, like it doesn't really be- benefit them in a practical sense right. to learn. Right. right. I mean, that's cabbages what... and potatoes. It's, yeah. You know, you don't need to you know. know how to read. Right. You need right. to know how to grow your tubers. In your... <laughs> don't worry about elves. They're far away. You're in the Shire. Right. They can't, you know, um, and it's, and it's not clear. I mean, I think ultimately we see where Tolkien kind of comes down on this with the, the course of Sam mm-hmm. throughout the book. Um, but it is interesting that it's early on we get this kind of uh, very rigid sense of how things work in the Shire mm-hmm. at any rate. You know, that there are certain people who, because we're told later, uh, you know, in the party, there's certain families who leave in carriages. So there is this like distinct oh, yeah. sense of, you know, there's an upper crust and mm-hmm. then there's the people who like the Gamgees, you know, do the labor. Mm-hmm. Um whether it's yeah gardening or planting crops or you know working at the mill or the blacksmith right like there's this very kind of rigid right and structure. we're told that there are like imp- there are important families yes right so it definitely is again like just like England right it's like a lineage yeah. thing it's not a mm-hmm. um you know new money would have is always scoffed at right like it's a right these yeah. old families are important families. Um, the Sackville Bagginses. Sackville Bagginses. <laughs> With that hyphen tells you a lot. A right? lot. Uh, yeah. I think it is really interesting to see how this... Yeah, how much of this... Because when you think about the Silmarillion, we never really got this deep of a dive into how a particular place or a group of people mm-hmm. worked and lived like on a daily basis. I mean, mm-hmm. this is a very much like a sense of ordinary life and, and going back to what you were saying, I think about the hobbits more generally, it's just, we get the sense that they, not much changes mm-hmm. in the Shire. It's yeah. very kind of like, you know, flying Amber kind of thing where the outside world doesn't have much of an impact. They're not very aware of it. Mm-hmm. We're told that in the distant past, they had some sort of agreement with a Lord mm-hmm. to, to control the, like one of the men, presumably to basically sort of, occupy the shire like it's not even clear that the land is theirs fully but it's been so long ago that nobody really i guess pays attention anymore um so that kind of they've just been allowed to exist in isolation mm-hmm. and this like weird little culture's grown grown out of it um and i don't know where i'm going with this it's just interesting to me how much time tolkien spent like it's clear he loves the hobbits he does he really does <laughs> I mean, he Even saw himself as a hobbit, right? 
Yeah, I think also, like, this prologue here that we have, mm-hmm. and, like, note on the Shire records, etc. Yes. This, again, is, I think, Tolkien's kind of posturing to, like, set this up in a way that, right? Like, again, like, yeah. this is kind of the one similarity to the Silmarillion between, right? Is, like, he's, like, okay, I have to, I have to give, like, a culture, like, an anthropological, yes. you know prologue to this so that we understand the depth of the book right we could easily i mean and i have in many years past just skipped the whole first part and started with a long expected party and been just fine Mm -hmm. but for tolkien this history and right this i mean in throughout he's like mentions other this Red Book of Westmarch. Yes. Um, Bilbo himself, the first Hobbit, became famous in the world at large um, and called by him there and back again since they told of his journey. Right, He wrote his book, I think, uh, in this last section, Note on Shire Records. We get, mm-hmm. you know, it was probably at Great Smales that the Tale of Years was put together. Um, so, like, we get these mention of, like, other texts that exist in this world we get sort of this depth on the culture of hobbits. And so, again, this is just Tolkien being very Tolkienish, yes. where he can't just leave well enough alone and has to actually give us this, you know, introduction that places this story within kind of this fake real world that he has created. I mean, same thing. I mean, this could very easily be an appendix. Um, we have all the appendices at the end of the Return of the King that also, you know, give more depth to what's in the trilogy. But f- I think because of his love of the Hobbits and because of the role that they play, it's important to understand where they're coming from, so that we can kind of under- understand better the gravity of where they mm-hmm. go. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, we get this whole history of this manuscript. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and the various ways it's been recorded, and yeah, it's, it's exceptional nature mm-hmm. among the hobbits who don't normally record much. But this is a big one. Should we talk about the book itself? Yeah, yeah. Like, and once we get into the chap, the actual chapters. So we read mm-hmm. chapters one, two, and three. Mm-hmm. Um, and chapter one, very much in the vein of the Hobbit, is like kind of silly and funny. Bilbo disappears. Uh, he has his hundred and eleventh birthday. Puts on the ring and vanishes into the night. Chapter two, the shadow of the past. Bilbo kind of (laughs) fills in Frodo on what is going on with the ring. Um, This does kind of feel like uh, very repetitious after having read all of, like, you know, the Silmarillion. But it does give some more insight into kind of the forging of the rings Uh and how they work. Um, And then three is company. Sam and Frodo set off on their uh, on their journey. Sam, Frodo, and Mary, right? Mary, I think. I think uh, it's Pippin. Mary. Or nope, no, Pippin. Yeah, Pippin. they meet Mary later, yeah. Yes, Mary, because Mary's in, in Buckland He's in Bran- prepping yeah. the house for them. Right. The house. So Pippin yeah, is was... with them. I always get them, like, so confused. Um, but anyway, so, Aaron, you said you wanted to talk about the ring a little bit. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's talk about the ring a little bit. Sure. So yeah, as you mentioned, and especially in chapter two, we get a lot of ring talk mm-hmm. you know, about about how the ring works and where it comes from and who made it and all kinds of detail. But what I was curious about, and maybe this is just a reflection of how much Gandalf knows at mm-hmm. various points, because in the first two chapters, really, Gandalf kind of reveals things about this magic ring Mm -hmm. that changed because he's not quite sure of it at first. So that's sort of the underlying part about Gandalf is like, he knows it's a magic ring, Mm -hmm. but he doesn't suspect until it seems years later, right? When he comes back that he suspects finally that it's the one ring rather than just a magic ring. Yes. So like he doesn't know, right. He knows it's a magic ring. 
He doesn't really start to suspect until Bilbo tells him that he's feeling stressed oh, right. and thin. Yes. And then when he calls it his precious, precious. and like really struggles to give it up. Um, yeah. Which interesting, like this is one of those portions where it's really interesting because if you're a devotee of the movies, it is like this is where word for word the script basically follows exactly yes. what is written in the book, which is always really interesting. It's really fun, but also really hard because as a reader, like now I can only read it in, <laughs> right? Like in like, McCollum's voice. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but anyway, so that's when Gandalf is finally like, hmm. <laughs> Yeah, something's maybe odd this about is this. more than just a magic ring. A simple magic um, ring. Um, and we also yes. learned that Bilbo had kind of lied about how he got it. Yes, yeah. Uh, to was... everyone except, I guess, Frodo. He apparently was honest with Frodo about yes. it. Yes, and I think Bilbo eventually kind of got it out of him. But yeah, he he lied to mm-hmm. everyone else, and mm-hmm. he claimed that he like found it. Yes. Right. Yeah. Which, which Gandalf later says is very similar to Gollum's lie about mm-hmm. it being a birthday right. gift, birthday right? Gift. Yeah, yeah, it's this way of making thievery into something Le- innocuous. Legitimate. Um, right. Uh, but my sort of question yeah, at this sorry, point go is, ahead. you know, no, it's okay, because in this sequence of this, Gandalf repeatedly warns both Bilbo and Frodo not to use it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it seems to be that there's a dis- difference between being a wearer and an owner. Mm-hmm. of the ring for sure um but even if you just possess it you still you're still under its spell yes just less intensely is that so from what i understand it it's kind of two reasons for that so right when you possess it just owning it you mm-hmm. yes you're correct you kind of are still under its spell because we see frodo right frodo never wears the ring he never seems to fuss about the ring but then they talk about when um when Gandalf throws it in the fire, Frodo is like, kind of has this moment of panic, like, "Oh my, my precious, <laughs> my beautiful it's ring. burning, it's burning!" <laughs> right? Um, so he has this moment of panic, and Frodo doesn't, right? He doesn't wear it; he just possesses it. But even then, there's this instinct that like he doesn't want to see harm right. done to it. Um, but then also, I think Gandalf's kind of the other side of that. I guess same side of that coin. I don't know. They, if he puts on the ring, Sauron can find him, mm-hmm. right? So it's kind of twofold, right? Gandalf doesn't want him using the ring because it it will increase its influence over a wearer, but then also it will alert Sauron to the presence of the ring somewhere right. um, because it increases. But and that's interesting to me, like. Does it? Does being worn increase the ring's powers that Sauron's like, like radar oh. can pick up? I I think the vibes. Or <laughs> well, that's the other thing. I'm, I guess I'm a little confused about is how does ownership of the ring even work? Because the ring seems to have a mind of its own. Right. We're told, right, that it can yes. increase and decrease in size. It can slip off fingers, sort it's of. It's treacherous. Yeah, It's it treacherous. Doesn't... Yeah, it's slippery. So does it, like, just allow itself to be owned while it's useful? Because mm. that's what seems to be with the case with Gollum, right, is that it, it kind of makes its way away from Gollum because it realizes he's not mm-hmm. helpful to, I guess, get back to Sauron which I assume is sort of the ring's ultimate purpose. Right. Yeah, it has um, a mind of its own, for sure. Right, so how does ownership work? I mean, does the ring have free will? <laughs> can the <laughs> ring choose? Can the ring choose things? Because that, that's the other thing about this section, is compared to the Silmarillion, like, free will seems so much more important. Yes, okay. Uh, um, we talked about this, I think, very early on in the shippy... Oh, Okay. Okay, so this is something Aaron and I have not read. The Road to Middle Earth, the Tom Shippey yeah. book. He has this, like, that dis- that kind of, like, discussion of evil, and is it, like, an internal thing or an external thing? And the ring is really confusing because it's kind of both, right? The ring amplifies what is both inside oh, right. you, but then also seems to have kind of a will of its own, and then, like, acts upon... Right. Right. The wearer. So like does the ring make the wearer evil or is the is the wearer 
inherently evil and the ring just like amplifies that um as far as free will goes i don't i don't think the ring has free will <laughs> i think that it's sauron's will so i sure. don't because right they talk about how when he smelted yeah i guess <laughs> I guess it's gold you wouldn't smelt right if it's pure gold it's not smelted i don't know if you are Made into it. metal if you're into metallurgy please let us know when he forged the ring he poured like all of his malice and his like his will and everything into the ring and so i think that the ring doesn't have a will of its own but it does have a will as it's tied to sauron okay does that make sense? Yeah, I guess I'm just confused because we're told that the <laughs> ring, while it contains a part of Sauron, is also separate from him in the way that, like, the reason he wants it back, right, is because it contains something of himself that he gave up. Yeah. In addition I mean, to being it's... powerful, it's like it contains a part of his... Right, I mean, it's separate from him in the sense, like, it's, like, physically not... Right, yeah, but I mean, like, is it still like completely joined to him? That's just that clear to me because you said like right that wearing it seems to amplify its detectability. Do you understand what I'm asking? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't. guess so. Uh, how much is it like? How does its tie to him still work? Is my question. Because uh, like, how does it work? Because it seems like if 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 wearing it increases it, there's something going on with it not being wholly connected to him. Mm, like there's like, something about that connection that's like frayed or not. Like it has to be amplified to be found more easily. Hmm. Like he obviously knows it exists, but there's a point at which we're told that like he thinks it's been destroyed. Yeah. So clearly there's something about like the, is it like Bluetooth? It just has to be in range. Like, how is this working? Like, how does he not know it exists at, for a while? Mm -hmm. We don't know how long, but he apparently thinks it's been destroyed. I think. Okay, this is a. This is. This could be wrong. I'm just. I because I don't know. You stumped me. Like, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea either. That's why I'm asking. Yeah. And maybe it's flawed on Tolkien's part, and so we're never gonna know, right? But I think partially it could be because Sauron was so weak for so long that he like couldn't. Right, like that, right, he, we talk, they talk about how, you know, he was in Mirkwood, he was rebuilding his strength, etc., etc. So, like, if he was weak, perhaps, like, his will was, he, you know, he wasn't strong enough to, like, send out his little, mm. like, beep, 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 sonar, right? <laughs> That's how I figured this working. Um, his sonars to find the ring. And then, like, he gets more powerful and then realizes the ring is out there. Okay. But he doesn't realize where it is until right. Gollum gives up Bilbo's name right. and the Shire, and then he's able to, like, figure out that Frodo has it, which obviously, okay, he can find his address on, you know, LexisNexis or whatever, and send his i'm assuming he has a lexus nexus subscription i'm sure he does all evil people do um <laughs> and send his riders out to get frodo but then they're able to track him using the ring right but imperfectly clearly because they get very close and right but as until he's wearing it and then right. they can find him right do they so just sense like like, right, do they sense the ring, or do they sense, like, the thing that the ring does to the person it's, we that's I'm guessing it's wearing? I mean, the ring I'm does kind of wear its I know, right. That's the other owner. thing, yeah. Um, right, we're told it possesses them, and yeah, I, yeah, I think it's the latter. It must have something to do with... Something about the ring's presence is amplified when it's actually on someone, because I guess because it's being used, quote-unquote. yeah. Maybe that has something to do with it. And I I don't know if it's like a... And like, just what is Sauron and or the ring race like drawn to? Are they drawn to like the presence of evil or are they drawn to like the threat of someone else wearing the ring? Because, right, because uh -oh. that would be the thing is that like if, if a ring bearer like Gandalf or Aragorn or... 
Galadriel, you know, yeah. someone stronger put on an evil ring, they would be a threat to Sauron mm-hmm. and not, you know, like Frodo, who would, they would just kill and take the ring. Right. So what are they actually, like... Detecting? I mean, right. Like, presumably yeah. they're drawn towards that the evil, but... I mean, Gandalf even says, like, I wouldn't use this for evil. Right. Through me, it would, it would do evil things. Evil. So. so I think mm-hmm. the ring itself is evil. Yeah. The wearer is not until they put on the ring. But then right. it does the seem will. to, like, amplify... Or does it just turn all things to evil? I think the case of Gollum suggests it turns things to evil. Because like, even he's not evil initially. I mean, they talk. He's not great. No, he's not great, but he's not like he a malevolent <laughs> force. And the way that he becomes later when he's like talked about as if he's going around like sucking baby's blood. Oh, yeah, that's nasty. Like, that's, that's something he's doing before he has the ring. Uh, yeah. He loves deep, dark places. Yeah. Which maybe suggests something about his nature that the ring can like appeal to and use. I mean, that seems to be the way the ring works, right? Is that it finds whatever the sort of driving impulse of a person is and turns it in a particular direction. Yeah. And I think we get that too again with Gandalf. Like, yeah. He said, I would use this ring out of a desire to do good. But, but. It can't be used for that. Right. And I wonder, too, that's like a commentary on Tolkien's part about, like, power, right? Like, mm-hmm. like all, does all, like, does power corrupt <laughs> in the end, right? Like, the ring would ultimately make someone the most powerful version of themselves, but it also would co- completely corrupt everything right. they did. So I wonder if that's also kind yeah. of a little Tolkien, like making some mm-hmm. some sort of assessment of of people who are in positions of power. Yeah. And also, I think, too, if, I mean, he calls it technology repeatedly in his interviews and things. Yeah. So there's this way the in which... The machine. Yeah, the machine's like this, this sort of piece of technology that gives someone that kind of power is what the real... Yeah, the ring is not magic. That's like a thing that like I know, which is crazy. Kind of remember for Tolkien is like the ring is not magic. Very few people in the book do magic. Like Mm -hmm. there's Mm -hmm. and the and the times that magic is done, it's not actually like it's like Saruman, right? Which is not for Tolkien real magic. It's (laughs) yeah, it's closer technology to technology. yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, it's funny because like the only real mention of magic we get so far is the creation of the magic rings, and, mm-hmm. and we're told that they were kind of experimenting with them. There's this funny—I forget where it is—but basically where he talks about like the elves. They make a of, lot of rings. Yeah, and they don't quite know what they do. Like there, there's a sense that early on they're just sort of experimenting to kind of yes. see what they'll do. And yeah. I think because doesn't Gandalf initially think that's what Bilbo's found is just like one of these early rings mm-hmm. that's like kind of harmless, like it does some stuff, but it's not. It's not one of the sort of, you know, rings that were for magic, you know, rings of power that were for. It's just this sort of like early example of elves just kind of dicking around with rings. Mm-hmm. I'm, I I could I could find it, but I'm not going to look. Yeah, but I was looking the point for it, is, but like, I can't find it. But yeah, it's just going to your point, though, that like magic is rare. And, and when it does happen, it seems to be like those rings are distinct from these rings. Mm-hmm. Like the nature of them is distinct from them. Yeah. Um, there, I don't think they'd be considered technology in the way that these other ones are. Um, no. But I, I think you're right that there's something going on here about corruption is related to th- not just power, but the means of... Like, the ring gives a person inordinate power, I guess, mm-hmm. right, is the thing. So it's not just like power, it has to do with how that power is acquired and then wielded, I guess. Right. Because elsewhere he's fine with authority. Yes. I mean, look oh, at yeah. Aragorn, like, you know, Aragorn's very powerful by the right. end of the books. Right, he comes that, out of nowhere and becomes king and no one questions right. it. Right, but that that's legitimate within the world of the, mm-hmm. the book, right? Like his power is legitimately granted, whereas it seems sort of the ring, if it's seized by someone else... Grants this sort of unnatural power mm-hmm. that yeah is absolutely corrupting, no matter what your intentions are. 
We get that later with Boromir, too. Right. Right. We'll talk about Boromir. Is he good or bad? Mm-hmm. We don't know. Maybe. You don't know. We'll find out. But, but I think that he helps explain the ring, I think, even more than Gollum does. I so we get a lot about Gollum in this section. That is we really get a lot about Gollum. I forgot how much we got yeah. at this point. Yeah, a ton of In the Gollum. movies, we get, like, nothing. No. Until, until Return the, of the end. King. Yeah, this yeah. whole... Actually, this whole chapter is kind of splattered throughout the movies. And, yes. like, different... Different, like, parts. <laughs> uh, this all happens up front in the book, which is helpful. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I forgot how genuinely creepy Gollum is. Yeah, Gollum's really creepy. Like, way creepier than in the movies, I think. Yeah, sucks blood from babies Yeah, or there's, like, rumors that he's, like, going around, like eating stuff out of nests it, it climbed trees to find nests it crept into holes to find the young it slipped through window windows to yeah. find cradles now what is it doing with those cradles maybe it's just curling up and going to sleep um no. also bad can you imagine waking up one uh. morning to find Gollum <laughs> curled up in a little cradle uh. i mean we're supposed to, are we supposed to believe those or are these like hyperbole like I, I i don't know i mean i don't know if we have an answer i think that, they're but. i think I think it's up to our discretion. Yeah. Okay. Because I wonder. Because um, that one, where that was like the rumor that's filtered. Yes, the woodman said that there right. was some new terror abroad. Right. Like this is um, stuff Gandalf has heard, but not obviously directly seen. Mm-hmm. Um, in his tracking down of Gollum, which takes what like nine years or something. Yeah. So yeah, they track Gollum for a really long time, mm-hmm. and like that he's crept into Mordor, like. He's all over the place. Yeah, Gollum, Gollum is really... Gets around. Trouble. And they talk about, too, um, and maybe this helps us understand the ring. I don't know. I'm going to think about this. And maybe we'll find out. And again, maybe we won't. Maybe this is like... Mm-hmm. Maybe this is a flaw on Tolkien's part in just, like, creating the ring the way he did. I don't think it is. But, like, I don't know if we can answer your question about, like, how the ring's, like, will works mm-hmm. yet. We know it's slippery, does it have a mind of its own? Who knows? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. At this point. But Gandalf says, um, Alas, Mordor draws all wicked things, and the dark power was bending all its will to gather them there. The ring of the enemy would leave its mark too, leave him open to the summons, and all folk were whispering of the new shadow in the south and its hatred of the west. There were his fine new friends who would help him in his revenge. So, like, Gollum is drawn to Mordor because... All wicked things are drawn to Mordor. So, like, is that what the ring is doing? Because it's so evil, it is drawn to Saruman. And, like, that's why it's, like, slipping off fingers and, like, right? It's trying to get back. But because mm-hmm. it obviously doesn't have legs, it's a ring, yeah. it needs a bear. Yeah, it needs, it's parasitic. Um, right. So, like... Yeah. I guess, yes, it has a mind of its own, but only is in... Only in the sense in a that, particular like, way, yeah. right, it needs to get back to one specific right. spot, and it can only do certain things to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a weird mix of Sauron's will and in its own, I guess. Yeah, because like Sauron is willing it back to him. Yes, but then I, also I think, because it's but... just evil, it is trying to get yeah. back to right Sauron, yeah. um, which I think is why, again, like we don't. Sauron doesn't know where it is for a long time, and that's why it ends up abandoning Gollum for Bilbo because Sauron has grown in power and Mark really right. learned this in The Hobbit. Yes. Right, like, he's like the the necromancer. A very yeah. cool name. I don't know why know. we changed it to Sauron. Um, so, like, mm-hmm. he's he's growing in power. The ring senses that and is, like, trying to right. get back to him because it's evil, so it's drawn mm-hmm. to a source of right. evil. It seems like it's drawn more so when Sauron leaves Mirkwood, right? That that's when. Yes, again, the because connection his power, gets stronger because he's because stronger his power and yeah, okay. is growing and growing and growing. Because right. like Gollum has it forever. Gollum has it for out. so long. Yeah, he's just hanging out under the mountains. Yeah, I don't think ring. that like anyone understands how long Gollum yeah. has the ring. Like. And also, he's eating hundreds orcs. Hundreds of years. Yes. We're told he eats orcs, which yes. is insane detail. Like, he puts the ring on to be invisible and then apparently yeah, kills, like, kills orc them. stragglers. It's why. I, I, if you haven't read it in a long time, the Gollum stuff is bonkers, and I love it. It's, it's creepy. so bizarre. Like, he is so unsettling. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, sorry, I interrupted. <laughs> I just had that image of him like killing an orc, which is what you interrupt. Crazy. I don't. You were talking about um, Sauron's power. No, no, no. That's okay. okay. I think we were over that. So uh, I think we've kind of figured out maybe what how the ring yeah operates. Okay. Maybe again, we're in the first chapter of this book. I know, and like you said, I think we'll have a better kind of understanding as we see how other characters react to the ring i mean we see that's one thing this this book gives us a lot of um Mm -hmm. more than i think the two towers of the return of the king is like different characters being able to interact with the ring so i do think this is probably one of the best to study how the ring works works because we see Right, like a lot of people either being able to resist or not resist the draw of mm-hmm. the ring. And also kind of understanding maybe this chapter helps. I think one thing that's always been difficult for me to understand is like how the rings are all connected to each other. Mm-hmm. So like the elf, like, right, like the dwarven rings, the seven dwarven rings, most are destroyed, three mm-hmm. are recovered. Um, the nine for the men... Sauron like uses those to draw the men to him, and then the three elven rings are hidden from him. Right. But I I've never really understood like how that relationship works. I think the elves are hiding them, right? Like the elves are are hiding hiding them. Like because we're told that if like Sauron gets it back, he'll be able to the one ring back. He'll be able to like find those three. Right. They've like disconnected. They've like. They've taken themselves right. They've taken themselves <laughs> out of the conference call. Turned the Wi-Fi off. Yeah. Yeah. But like, um, but I, I guess I don't know enough about like the forging. And Tolkien is kind yeah, of like he doesn't give us a ton too. of details on the forging, in terms of like how the actual kind of like, I guess this is sort of magic of like how the rings are connected to yeah. one another. Right. Because they clearly are. But they're not, they're very distinct from the One Ring, though, because we're told that one has a piece of Sauron in it, whereas these others don't. Right. But somehow they're able to be drawn. Like, how, yeah, they're like, tethered somehow, yeah. Right. How does it work that. I don't know. Like, the Ring Wraiths are, the men, right, the kings who become mm. the Ring Wraiths are, like, drawn to. Like, right. Be corrupted in that way. Yeah, I don't know if we ever find that out. I don't have an answer. Okay. If anyone does, if any listeners know uh, better than we do, please let us know. Because I've always been kind of curious about this. And it's one thing in Tolkien lore that I've, like, never really had a strong grasp on. Not that I have a strong grasp on, like, a ton of this. But that's one thing that I've never understood. And, like, when... um, you know, when the One Ring is destroyed, the Elven Rings also lose their power. Mm-hmm. So somehow they're connected, but they're not. At... Yeah. I don't know. I don't know, man. Right. Maybe we'll work it out in the end. Yeah. I'll keep an eye out for it. But yeah, uh, I don't think we have enough yet to not quite. out. Again, like I said, we're only in Chapter 3. Yeah. Um... Yeah, which chapter three, I guess we could talk briefly about. I know we're probably running a long time here, but yeah, what about uh, chapter I three? <laughs> did think it was interesting that we had another instance of like people project the elves projecting their language into someone who doesn't speak it. We had this in the Silmarillion, if mm-hmm. you remember, and it comes up here again. Where, yeah, they're you know, like they, mind... they run into elves. Yeah, and they're yeah. like mind. They like communicate their song uh-huh. to uh, these three hobbits who who don't have knowledge of the language they're singing in. Yes. Uh, so it's just funny that that comes up again here. Um, yes. It says, if, if you don't know, so this is, it says the singing drew nearer. One clear voice rose now above the others. It was singing in the fair elven tongue of which Frodo knew only a little and the others knew nothing yet. The sound blending into the melody seemed to shape itself into their, in their thought into words, which they only partly understood. This was the song as Frodo heard it, and they're singing to Varda. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, so yeah. um, if you hadn't read the Silmarillion, and honestly, if you hadn't, re- if we hadn't read the Nature of Middle Earth, we would have no idea yes. what is happening here, right? No, but it's yes, a very weird moment. Yeah, projecting their language into the minds of these hobbits. others. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they basically in this chapter, right, they leave reluctantly. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something mm-hmm. that yes. I always like talk when people who have never read the books only seen the movies i always kind of go on and on about how like in the movies it all happens like super fast really fast um but in the book frodo really takes his time gandalf's like you've got to leave and frodo's like no (laughs) he's really reluctant yeah he's not ready um like, and Gandalf doesn't say, I mean, I guess Gandalf doesn't say you need to leave now, but he's like, maybe right. two or three weeks. And Frodo's like, maybe I'll wait till my birthday. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then the plan is to go to Buckland mm-hmm. and then from there leave, but he can't just like leave, which also I think is a really interesting hobbity thing, right? He, like, Frodo can't just, bye. He can't just head out because he wants to. He has to have this kind of ruse that, Right. I mean, also, he's likely being watched, but also I do think it says something about the hobbits yep. like care very much about if he leaves the Shire, so he can't, he has to kind of make these overtures that he's just bought a new house. Yep. Yeah, because hobbits don't leave the Shire. No. And, and of course, Buckland's plausible to the, the Hobbiton people because they think Frodo's weird and the people in Buckland are weird and his yes. family's there. So, like, of course he's going. And they think he's running a low on money. That's the other thing. They think Bilbo's secret <laughs> yes. money has finally kind of dried <laughs> yeah. up. Yeah. Um, um, so there's that whole angle to it as well. But yeah, he's really reluctant to go, which is funny. Yeah. In comparison to the movies. Um, and he's just something to the effect of he always thought he would eventually want to leave, but he's not ready yet. It's yeah. kind of like Bilbo. Because mm-hmm. he's just something like he's almost Bilbo's age when this, mm-hmm. you know, in The Hobbit when this all kicks yes. off essentially. And, um, He's got his restless youth, I guess, has finally finally hit him. But um, but yeah, he's reluctant to go. That yeah. makes sense. Because also, like, Gandalf's not very clear about any kind of plan beyond get to Buckland. Yeah, it's actually, if I were um, Frodo, I'd be, as a planner, if I were Frodo, I'd be yeah. really frustrated with Bilbo, who gives right. him really no instruction. It's just like, go to Buckland, yeah. wait. After he tells him this terrifying story about Mordor, he's like, right. and the Dark Lord's after you. Um, oh, wait for but the here, go to Buckland. Yeah. It is interesting at the end of chapter three when they meet these elves. Mm-hmm. So they meet a, a company of elves, Gildor of the House of Fin, uh, the yes. House of Finrod. I noticed. We, we learn, right? So he's of the House of Finrod. Um, and. At the very end, Frodo and Finrod kind of have this conversation. So there is this sort of like lovely scene where they're, you know, with the elves and they're eating and sleeping. And um, Pippin afterwards recalled little of either food or drink, for his mind was filled with the light upon the elf faces and the sounds of the voices so various and so beautiful that he felt in a waking dream. So really, we have the elves established as these very kind of ethereal beings here, mm-hmm. which is cool. And the light in their faces, obviously, is the light of Amon. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Sam could never describe in words nor picture clearly to himself what he felt or thought that night, which is sweet. Sam's thoughts on the elves are just one of my favorite things. I know, he loves them some elves. Um, But anyway, Frodo is talking to Gildor, and Gildor actually says, has Gandalf told you nothing? Yes. (laughs) Which, like, kind of Gandalf hasn't. Um, No. Gandalf Beyond don't sets, wear it yeah, and don't Gan- tell anybody about it. Yeah. Gandalf kind of sets Frodo up for failure. But I think, I wonder also too if this is kind of like the less he knows, the safer he is sort of yeah. situation. Like if, you know, if he, if he doesn't know where he's ultimately going, he can't give away that information. Right. Um, or like if he's discovered Sauron can't try to, you know, torture it out of him in any way so i do think gandalf at this point has more cooking than mm-hmm. we i mean we know he has a lot of cooking but if we had never read this book before right um we wouldn't know that gandalf has more I, cooking but i think he certainly does he's just trying to protect frodo by giving him bits of information at the time yeah. I also think he doesn't want to dissuade Frodo yes. from the task at hand. Because yeah. we know Gandalf knows it has to go to Mount Doom. Uh-huh. 
and I and think Gandalf, Gandalf says as much. And I think Gandalf knows Frodo has to Correct. be the bearer. I think yeah, from the think very beginning, Gandalf yeah. knows. I agree. So um, I think that's part of it too, is he doesn't want to tell Frodo. By the way, you have to go all in Mordor. Yes. <laughs> like right off the bat, he doesn't want to be the one to break that news. So I think that's part of it too. In addition to like you're saying, you know, the less he knows, the safer he is. And I, and I think um, that's kind of related in his conversation then too, right? Where he says after he says, you know, because Gandalf told you nothing, he goes, well, I guess says something to the effect of right, like I guess was is a wizard essentially. Like he has his reasons, and then yeah, he shouldn't he says, interfere um, essentially. Right, yeah, I says, shouldn't be the one I, to tell you or something. Then I think it is not for me to say more, lest terror should keep you from yeah. your journey. For See? it seems to me that you have set out only just in time, if indeed you are in time. Uh, you must now make haste and neither stay nor turn back, for the Shire is no longer any protection to you. So, right, they are kind of like, if we tell Frodo what's going on, he's not going to... He's not going to do it. He's yeah. not going to want to do it. Mm-hmm. Which, like, I wouldn't. <laughs> no. No. Not after hearing all that. Yeah. Um, so, that I think, I know, that probably takes us to the end. Yeah, I think it? so. For now. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Fun start. More, more to come. More on the, more on that ring. (laughs) Oh man, I feel like we'll be talking about the ring very obviously. We're gonna be, we're gonna be trying to unpuzzle it. I think Mm -hmm. for a long time, and who knows if we ever will. Yeah, that's fine. We'll try. Yeah, it'll be fun. Um, Uh, what chapters will be we? Will be we reading? (laughs) Will we be reading? Will we be reading? Uh, Uh, next time. Gosh, things we should plan before we record. Uh, A A short come. Cut to mushrooms for sure. A conspiracy unmasked, certainly. Uh, I guess we could end. We could root through the old forest then. Yeah, why not? Meet. We can meet uh, Tom Bombadil and then leave him. And then leave leave that discussion for the next time. Oh man, I'm so excited for Tom Bombadil. All right, so we'll be reading chapters four through chapters. Was it six? Uh, four through six. Hell yeah. So if you're reading along, please read along. If you're not, that's what we'll be discussing. <laughs> yeah. Either way, you're in you're in, you're, in, you're in for a real treat, I'm sure. We're talking we talk about mushrooms. Who doesn't love mushrooms? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. anywho, we are so excited to be finally yes. reading this book. And we can't wait. Yep. To journey further with you. That's right. And our Hobbit friends. That's right. All right. <laughs> Until well, next time. Thank you for time. listening. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Keep reading. Keep trucking. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of our worst outros ever. Bye. Like, Bye. <laughs>